My name is Richard Daniels. 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 And I am the archivist for the Occultaria of Albion. The Occultaria of Albion is a publication dedicated to exploring some of the strangest and most bizarre locations across the country where hauntings, curses, cryptids and more have all been reported. I am now custodian of its archive and am gradually exploring many of the lost files in order to re-release them. You can find the case files which are now available at occultariaofalbion.com The Occultaria of Albion can also be found on YouTube and as a podcast. Go deeper and join the fan club for exclusive content. Go to patreon.com forward slash occultaria. Remain vigilant and remember the wolves of weird are loose. Hello and welcome to a slightly different podcast episode. Unlike the usual investigations covered in the audio files, this is an Occultaria of Albion audio tale, narrated by Joe Hayden and with a soundtrack composed by The Burial Group. You are about to hear a story of a strange and secretive attempt to communicate with the dead and the dangers which follow such a hubristic enterprise. Find a comfortable place to repose and listen to the Culpepper Project. Culpepper Project Lincolnshire, 1965 The young man pressed his back against the stonework a little more and looked upward at the arch of the flying buttress. Like a batwing it grew from the cathedral wall, flinging outward then down dramatically into the manicured lawn. Henry Ingram removed his glasses and gave them another wipe. Beneath the buttress arch he had managed to keep dry, but the mizzle had gradually begun to close about him. It was not how he had wanted his first assignment to begin. After graduating from Cambridge, he'd hoped some dynamic existence of clandestine adventure awaited him. He had idly imagined arriving somewhere like Paris, pulling into the Gare du Nord at midnight, or even sweeping into New York with a cheery American associate saying, Welcome to the United States, Mr. Ingram. He had not daydreamed about catching his death in an isolated county town like Lincoln. A large drop of rain slipped past the collar of his overcoat, like an icy finger down his back. Henry cursed as a shiver ran through him. In the gloomily silent morning, he heard the noise of an engine getting closer, until a black Zephyr was pulling up at the side of the road a little way in front of him. Henry scurried across the lawn, leaving the shelter of the cathedral stone. The driver had already wound down the passenger window by the time he reached the car. Suddenly self-conscious, Henry bent his head toward the opening. "'What's your name?' the middle-aged man behind the wheel asked. Henry thought for a second. Hellebore, he told him. Black Hellebore. He glanced about, but there was no one to observe their exchange. The world was still asleep beneath a large grey blanket. The driver jabbed a thumb at himself. Mandrake. Yes. Well, get in then. 
you're letting the warmth out. The car drove on even before Henry had shut the door. The man behind the wheel looked around 50 years of age. His hair was almost entirely grey and cut in the ex-military style, as was the neat moustache sitting squarely above his top lip. He did not look at Henry. Eyes that suggested an inflexible power of concentration looked out on the road ahead. The ancient stone cottages of the cathedral quarter had been replaced by post-war housing. They were leaving Lincoln. First assignment, isn't it? Mandrake asked, his tone as neutral as the wiper blade stroking across the windscreen. Yes, it is. Henry hoped he sounded diligent. Is there anything I should know? An eye, blue like a police box, turned on him for an instant. You read the file? Of course. Being out in the drizzle suddenly didn't seem quite so bad. Henry now felt a rigidity in his muscles that had been shivering just moments before. Everything seemed real suddenly. The Zephyr's interior had the fragrance of stale cigar smoke and brill cream, suffocating his expectations of adventure even more. But, Mandrake accelerated and changed gears. Well, Henry looked out at the landscape of soggy green fields. I must say I didn't entirely grasp what it was all about. I don't think I've been provided clearance for some of the code words. He wished he'd given the file more thorough attention. But it had been late, and he'd gotten the feeling it was nothing more than some sort of low-level data handling project. Mandrake sucked his teeth. To which code words are you referring? Henry was uncertain if this were a test. Magician and Oracle? I couldn't fathom what they were ciphers for. I found the whole file to be somewhat, well, vague, I suppose. When did you arrive in Lincoln? Last night, sir. Mandrake will do. Henry wondered if it was annoyance in his superior's voice, or just a natural condescension to new recruits. What you find unclear, Hellebore, will become less so. Though in its turn what becomes clearer only renders other things more tenebrous. For today I would advise you go with the flow, as your generation so frequently does. Yes, Mandrake. The magician, Mandrake went on, is a gentleman by the name of Enoch Kessel. He smiled faintly. Enoch does not have clearance with the Culpeper Project, and he is not part of the service. We've brought him in due to his unique knowledge. He was an exceptional engineer and helped develop radar systems during the war. Does the magician know we are coming? Just keep your mouth shut and observe, Mandrake advised. You might even learn enough to enjoy a second assignment. They drove into the village of Low Scarabee. At its crossroads, they turned right. Henry thought it looked a pleasant enough place. It was only the mizzle which made it seem forsaken. Once past the edge of a small wood, Mandrake turned the car onto a narrow farm road, leading to a house that sat amongst fields, empty but for lapwings poking the soil. A man was at the door of the house even before Mandrake had switched the engine off. His hair was white and uncombed, and his thin face had at least two days of stubble on it. It's working, Mandrake, I tell you! It has come to life! This is Enoch, Mandrake told Henry in a low voice as they got out of the Zephyr. Enoch glanced nervously back inside the house. The first signal came through at about 3am. I've been able to refine it about an hour ago. Well, he appeared to run out of words and put a hand through his hair. Calm yourself, Enoch, Mandrake smiled. We have a new associate with us today. This is Black Hellebore. Henry nodded while Enoch only seemed to stare through him. Yes, Enoch said absently. Black Hellebore. The old man turned back to Mandrake. You must see, this is the breakthrough we've wanted. 
Let us go inside. You can make us all some tea, then we shall see what is what. Henry followed Mandrake's lead. He said nothing and began urgently trying to recall everything he had read in the file the night before. It was an espionage project, he knew that. It was something intended to listen to the Soviets and use classified technology. The latest information in the file suggested the project had stalled and was due to be shut down. All three men went into the house. Enoch brought them to his kitchen, where there was a large table. Henry observed how messy the place was, but he thought at least there was a hearth and it was warm. On the table there were strange bits of electronic parts, none of which Henry could identify. At the centre was a metallic box about the size of a briefcase. It had several blinking lights and a small oscilloscope, like the eye of a cyclops, which seemed to watch them as they sat down. Henry could see no source of power for the machine, and guessed that it somehow worked from a battery. It has certainly developed since last I was here, said Mandrake, looking at the box. The spirits have made contact, Enoch told him. It finally works. Henry looked at his superior. Mandrake only responded with a flinty gaze. You must calm yourself, Enoch. All good science requires proof, as you know. We are beyond science? Enoch shook his head. I tell you, this is a greater power than we can understand. And that is why we are here. We hope to understand the secrets of the Eastern Bloc. Do not forget our purpose. Him. Enoch pointed with a shaking finger at Henry. He has come from Cambridge. Henry is his name. His father died in the war. I'm right, aren't I? How do you know this? Henry demanded. He looked again at Mandrake, who appeared surprised but unconcerned. Who's leaked this information? Henry asked again. The Oracle, Enoch told him. The spirits have spoken through it, I tell you. I'm afraid our superiors will require a little more than that, Mandrake said calmly. While sensitive, that information is hardly unattainable. It only suggests the sloppiness of our colleagues in London. It's bloody cheeky, Henry protested. Surely this project has been compromised if that kind of information has leaked? Quiet, Hellebore, Mandrake told him, and turned to the magician. Is that all there is, Enoch? I will show you, then you will see. Enoch flipped a switch on the side of the machine. It crackled. The oscilloscope glowed green and began to quiver. He fiddled with a dial on the side. A static noise grew from a speaker at its rear, the frequency constantly shifting. This is ridiculous, Henry muttered. Quiet. Mandrake told him again. The static suddenly seemed to settle, clicking and buzzing with a regular pulse. Henry could feel the hair standing up on the back of his neck, and for the second time that morning a shiver ran down his spine. It's found something, Enoch whispered. The spirits have returned. Mandrake ran a finger across his moustache expectantly. Go on then, Enoch. Here is your opportunity. Enoch nodded. Spirits! He cried. Are you there? Can you communicate through this machine? The metallic box continued to buzz. Spirits! Enoch began again. Before he could say more, the static began to quiver, its pitch higher. Out of the fuzz, a voice came through. Something human, and also machine-like too. I am here, Mr. Kessel, said the voice. There are others with you now. Strangers. These are my friends, Enoch informed the machine. 
The oscilloscope wavered in silence for a moment. The voice replied, You do not have friends, Mr. Kessel. We have many things to ask you, Enoch went on. Does this spirit have a name? Henry whispered. His name is Mr. Sawyer, Enoch told him. He came through last night. That is when he told me about you, to expect the visit. Henry's guts told him to get away from the place, and he would have if it were his decision. He looked at Mandrake. The commanding officer had an intrigued expression. Ask it if it knows anything of the Soviet operations in Murmansk and the Barents Sea, Mandrake told Enoch. Enoch obeyed. That is of no concern to me, came the reply from Mr. Sawyer in his synthetic voice. I will tell you this, however. One of you does not have long left in the mortal realm. They will not see tomorrow. I am sorry, Mr. Mandrake, Enoch said, turning one of the dials. But I am sure with more work and fine-tuning we can obtain valuable information. Did you hear what it said? Henry asked, his body seeming to feel the cold again. Mandrake waved his concerns away. A great deal of time and effort has already been spent on this project, Enoch. I, nor my superiors, are convinced it will provide the meaningful results we had hoped for. We are communicating with the dead! Enoch looked from Mandrake to Henry. I have created this machine with great toil and difficulty, he said more desperately. And with our funding, Mandrake reminded him. We are on the brink of being able to answer so many of life's questions at the final step you wish to turn away. Questions of life are not the kind my superiors want answers to. Enoch's machine began to crackle once more, as if the station had been lost. The oscilloscope wavered frantically as the static grew louder. In an instant, the noise stopped and was replaced by a high-pitched whistle. Henry cupped his hands over his ears. All three men pulled away from the table where the machine was beginning to shake. Your, Your living, living world, world is nothing, is nothing but, but, but a puppet, puppet show. show. Mr. Sawyer spoke again, but his voice deeper, more infected by the electronic fog. Henry sensed a darkness in the voice, a vibration to the tone that had no benevolence. It made him feel a despair within. When the strings are cut, the voice continued, you will fall and know the void, the void through which you can do nothing else but fall. That is enough, Mandrake decreed. Turn it off. The bare electric light above their heads flickered and the entire room began to rattle as if wind were sweeping through the chimney and out through the hearth. You who speaks with authority, barked Mr. Sawyer. I see your soul. Your existence is so empty that all you ever do is try and outrun its emptiness. Your wife knows this and despises you, yet she is all you have. She no longer comforts you when you wake screaming at all the terrible things you have done, screaming at the terrible things you have seen. Turn it off, Mandrake demanded. Your wife reaches out to other lovers in the times you are away. She is unhappy when you return. Inside you know this Mandrake, and yet you hide it from yourself. And make both your lives miserable. 
The door of the stove flung itself open, and a cloud of ash and dust blew from it. Henry felt sure he saw the cloud form into a demonic figure, with arms reaching out toward Mandrake, as if to scoop him up. There was another shrieking burst of noise from the machine, and the demon dissipated into smoke, filling the room with ash. Enough! Mandrake shouted, grabbing the box and throwing it to the floor. This project is terminated! Enoch fell to his knees to protect his machine, but Mandrake kicked him away, grabbing hold of the oracle, its blinking lights and oscilloscope now dark. I will recommend that this project is to be shut down and its funding withdrawn. Your time here, Enoch, has come to an end. British intelligence has indulged your clairvoyant claptrap long enough. Smash this place to bits, Mandrake told Henry. I'll be in the car. He marched out clutching the machine. Henry looked at Enoch, whimpering on the floor. The air smelt of cold soot. The dead know things, Enoch told him in a whisper. They know our frailties. Henry grabbed the old man and sat him in a chair. He looked at his worn face. He had been trained to read faces, but now didn't understand what he saw. I am sorry, he told him, and left. He got back in the Zephyr, and Mandrake dumped the metal box on his lap. He felt a residual warmth from its casing. Let me remind you, Mandrake told him as they sped away from the farmhouse, that what you have seen this morning is classified. You have no clearance to speak about it, and you will not be writing any report. Is that understood? Henry nodded. The Zephyr bounced along the farm track, and back onto the main road toward the village. Henry had to hold the oracle tightly. Even though its lights were dead, he felt a sense of terrible sorrow seeping into him through his fingers. Do you believe it? He asked Mandrake. Were we communicating with the dead? Mandrake's hands were claws on the steering wheel. Enoch Kessel is a sick man. It was a mistake to use him in such a way. The older man turned to Henry. You shall not speak of this, or your career will be over before it has begun. The oracle began to tremble in Henry's hands. Its bulbs remained dark, but the thing began to buzz and click like it was searching for a radio station. The trembling became more violent. What are you doing? Mandrake demanded. It's the machine! Henry tried to release his hands from it, but couldn't. Mandrake looked at him. In his eyes, Henry saw a look of despair, the kind that came from a fusion of fear and remorse. There was a loud thud that seemed to silence the oracle. Henry recognized it as the sound of a tire blowout. It sent the car swerving violently in the opposite lane. He glanced across to his superior, but Mandrake seemed frozen, unable to stop the car from leaving the road and nosediving into a dike. Damn it all, he muttered. They flipped over and tangled into the fence that marked the boundary of Scaraby Woods. The car came to rest on its wheels, the engine hissing angrily. Henry still clutched the oracle. A spot of blood appeared on its silver casing from where it was dripping from his broken nose. He looked over and could tell Mandrake was dead by the way his head hung down at an unnatural angle, like his neck was made of paper. His eyes, still with the same wretched demeanor, were open and gazed at the oracle. A moment later, the dented car door groaned as it was pulled open. 
Enoch Kessel stood panting and looked inside. He didn't say anything, only reaching in to take the machine from Henry's grasp. Henry tried to move but felt a terrible pain shoot through his legs and up his spine. The villagers will come for you, Enoch told him. They will help. Enoch took the oracle and held it tightly to his chest. I cannot stay. He turned and ran into the darkness of the woods. The Culpepper Project was written by Richard Daniels and originally appeared in the story collection Too Dead for Dreaming. It was narrated by Joe Hayden. The soundtrack was created by The Burial Group. Go to occultariaofalbion.com for more horror, hauntology and folklore.